morning, we have the privilege of hearing from Gordon speaking about Elijah and Elisha from 1 Kings. So I'm just going to take a moment to read um, the passage that we're hearing from this morning. The Lord said to Elijah, anoint Elisha to succeed you as prophet. So Elijah went and found Elisha. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and Elisha himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my parents goodbye, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the town people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Some years later, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master Elijah from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. This same conversation was repeated later that day as they walked near Jericho. Then a third time, Elijah said to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to Jordan. Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on, followed by fifty young prophets, and stopped at the Jordan River. Elijah struck the water with his cloak. The water parted, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. As they were walking together, suddenly a chariot and horses of fire appeared, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it parted and he crossed over. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jaron. That's twice you got through that reading without mixing up the names Elijah and Elisha. I did in the first sermon, so we'll see how I do. But uh, it's really good to be with you and to be looking at this passage together. Last week, we saw a time in Elijah's life when he was in deep despair and he wanted to die. He felt that he had failed, that he was alone. But Elijah learned that even in the darkest place, as far away as he could flee, God was still there with him. And today, we're going to see God's amazing response and remedy for Elijah, bringing him companionship, purpose, and community. Is there meaning after a profound, life-changing trauma? Does God still have purpose for us when the wheels fall off our lives? Can there be significance in a quieter, lower-profile season of life? Do we have a spiritual succession plan? 
Some years ago, there was a commercial for account temps, and an employee called in with a raspy voice and said, oh, I can't make it in today. I'm sick. And the boss said, don't worry, Bob is here. The employee, Bob? Who's Bob? Oh, well, he's the new account temp. He's already completed all the backlog of work that was on your desk this morning already. The employee, now in a much stronger voice, this, uh, this cold seems to be breaking up. I could be in by noon. The boss, don't worry. Bob and I are doing just fine. I wonder how Elijah felt as he heard God say to him, go and anoint Elisha to succeed you as prophet. I have had enough, he had said, and now maybe wonders, was I a little too candid with my complaints? I'm actually fine, Lord. I don't want to be replaced. Sometimes if we feel overwhelmed, we might say a little too loudly, I'm overworked. And someone comes and says, no problem, we'll bring someone else alongside to help. And suddenly we don't feel quite so indispensable. We saw last week Elijah's angry with his nation, Israel. They had resisted his zealous efforts to reform them, but was he ready to hand over his role as, as he saw it, the sole faithful prophet to someone else? Elijah, I need to fix Israel. God's response, actually, that's my department, but you can help. Elijah is recommissioned. Elijah had expressed two complaints to God, essentially. Number one, Israel has betrayed you. And two, I'm all alone. God has a solution for each. Israel? Okay, Elijah, you go and anoint two kings, and they will be God's instrument of justice. But Elijah... I also have a plan for your loneliness. I'm going to bring a companion alongside you, Elisha. Elijah was a loner. He was dismissive of and unconnected to the other prophets that were in the land. And so God works to bring him a friend. We saw Elijah in his darkest hour last week, but the journey back to health and back to community began with one step, one literal step out of the cave that he was in, but a step out of the cave of self-pity into steps of obedience to do what God has asked him to do. If you'd like to follow along, you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, and we'll drop in in verse 19. Reading there, Elijah went and found Elisha plowing a field. Elijah heads north, back into the kingdom of Israel. Now, we got a little teaser of rain today, enough to cancel our outdoor service. I, I fear not enough to help a farmer's field. Do we have any farmers here in this service this morning. 
We had one, okay, maybe, maybe. Okay, good, good, yes, excellent. I thought there would be some. You want what? You want rain. It's been, what, two months without a good rain. Can you imagine three and a half years without any rain whatsoever? That's what they had experienced. And now the rain has come. They're two months in, and as Elijah walks, he sees that the fields are greening. Farmers are planting in expectation of the first harvest in four years. But Elijah would be part of a very different kind of harvest. And as he walks and sees the land greening, no doubt he's encouraged on the one hand that Ahab's days are numbered. His dynasty is on borrowed time. But there's a frustration as well, I would expect, in God's timing. Why not replace Ahab now? Why this delay in dealing with evil? He's not the first person through the centuries that has asked that question. God, why so long dealing with evil? And then the words, Elisha to replace you, would play over and over in his mind. How come I'm being replaced and Ahab gets to stay? All right, let me ask you, what's the most wonderful thing about Tiggers? What is it? They love to bounce, but specifically he says the most wonderful thing about Tiggers is that I'm... The only one. That's exactly right. Brush up on your Disney if you don't know that. I'm the only one. That was Elijah's theme song. I'm the only one. And maybe Elijah was okay with that, but this idea of having a successor threatened him. But Elijah... Understand that to have a successor is to say that your work is not a failure. You don't need a successor if you're a failure. You need a successor if there's something to succeed, something to follow, a work that will continue. You only need a successor if you succeed. Elisha and Elijah very similar names, but beyond the names, not very similar at all. Elisha was rich. Elijah was poor. Elisha and his parents well connected in their community. Elijah's family we actually know nothing about. Elisha an extrovert. Elijah an introvert. Elisha a village farmer. Elijah, a wandering preacher. Elisha lived in a place called Abel Mahola, translated, a valley of dancing. Elijah, thinking to himself, really God? He's checked his GPS, you see, that God sent him the, the location of Elisha's farm. And so he's looking at that and he's going, Valley of dancing. You're sending me to the valley of dancing to find my successor. I haven't felt much like dancing in the last few years. And as Elisha approaches, sorry, as Elijah approaches Elisha's farm, he sees 12 teams of oxen plowing 
with Elisha himself driving the 12th team. 12 plows, 24 oxen, at least 11 servants. Elisha is wealthy. Elijah perhaps wondering, God, you want this guy as my successor? And his surname means son of a judge. So his father's position had presumably gained Elisha all his wealth. The wealthy recover from famine much quicker than the poor. Where was Elisha and all his wealth when I was out starving being fed by ravens? Ah, but look harder, Elijah. Elisha has many servants, but he is plowing. He doesn't need to be. Grab another servant to handle the twelfth plow. But Elisha is a hands-on guy. And he's plowing in the twelfth position. Why would the Scripture bother to record such a seemingly meaningless detail? Well, have you seen a tractor plowing on a dry field? What does it raise? A lot of dust. Can you imagine you're not in the first, second, third position? You're in the twelfth position, and you've got twelve plows and twenty-four oxen digging up the dust, and it's all coming your way. This is the position of the servant. And Elisha, the owner's son, takes the position of the servant. Though he is the owner, he comes and takes the position of the servant. He has humility. And Elisha is working hard where he is. Maybe you're, you're young and you sense that maybe God is calling you to something, but he hasn't made it clear yet, so you're kind of feet up on the table, kind of waiting, and ah, when he makes it clear, I'll, I'll do something. Not so Elisha. As he waits for the call of God to become more clear, he's occupied in hard work. He's connected to community and to family. He's godly and he's content. God prefers to call us from activity rather than idleness. And so Elijah approaches. He throws his cloak across Elisha's shoulders and he walks quickly away. That is so Elijah. Following instructions to the letter and then getting out of there. But Putting his cloak onto Elisha's shoulders had deep meaning, and they both would have understood it. It would be like a conductor passing his baton to someone else. It would be like a judge taking his robe and his gavel and handing it to another person. He's saying, you are going to succeed me. You will be the prophet. But there's no conversation. For Elijah, it's just throwing the robe and get out of there. But not so Elisha. He isn't going to just receive the cloak and watch Elijah walk away. He wants not just a position, but relationship. You know, when we served God for many years, it can become part of our identity and not in a good way. And when that position of service is taken away, we can become hurt or angry. But there is such a freedom in not clinging tenaciously to what we do for God, 
but rather sharing that with others, passing the work on to others. What a delight in working ourselves out of a job. I used to lead worship on this platform. And when I see Chris taking this position and leading with excellence, that brings me joy. Passing it on to someone else. Clearly, God had been working at both ends, speaking to both men. Have you ever noticed that? God lays someone on your heart and you approach them and you find out why because God's also working in that other person. That's what happened here. He spoke to Elijah, go to Elisha, but he's already working in Elisha's life, so he's ready to respond immediately. God affirms his calling in those ways. So Elisha leaves his plow and he runs after Elijah. I don't want to replace you. I want to learn from you. I want to be your disciple. Just let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Don't confuse this with the man who approached Jesus and said, let me first bury my father and mother. See the difference? In other words, wait for them to die. might be years. I'll get around to serving you. No, just he's in relationship with his parents, and he just wants to honor them and say goodbye to them. Can you imagine the parents' reaction? I'm trying to think if I was Elijah's dad and my young son bursts in. Elijah's here. He wants me to follow him. He, I'm going to be his successor. Would have I have been delighted by that or would I have been concerned? How does it feel when God calls our children to serve him? Do they keep the spare room just in case it didn't work out? Are there any here, any youth whose hearts are so on fire for God that if an opportunity came and God said, there it is, they would be ready to lay down everything immediately and just go for God, so thrilled with the kingdom of God that they would give everything. Elisha was that kind of a man. Elijah's response is actually hard to understand. He says, go back. What have I done to you? It's an abrupt response. Essentially, this is between you and God. This is not my problem. I'm done here. But God knew better. Elisha was what Elijah needed the most. God brings us into odd and interesting community. Does he not? Don't look around you right now. But isn't it true that in the kingdom of God, Sometimes we're put together with people that are a little bit different than us. Isn't that true? Maybe it's just me that's different. But I think God puts us into interesting partnerships that we wouldn't always choose. Don't dismiss someone too quickly who may be different than you. God calls us into relationship, and we can resist that, or in humility we can say, I can learn from this person even if they're different than I am. 2004, I went to Calgary to begin uh, ministry there, and a young man came into my office. His name was Travis. He wanted to be my intern, but I didn't know that, and he didn't tell me. What he said was, 
can I help in any way? Can I file some music for you? Anything I can do? Oh, sure. Yep, that'd be great. Yep. He just hung around, was there more and more, helping more and more, and kind of wormed his way into my life and became such a dear friend. And we worked together there for years. And what an incredible blessing it was to have him in my life. I hope that somewhere along the line he maybe learned something from me, but I know that I learned so much from him. He encouraged me. He challenged me. He caused me to dare and to think young again. He's the pastor of the church in Windsor that I served at last year. God brings us into these beautiful partnerships, Elijah and Elisha, serving together, even though they were so different. Elisha slaughters his pair of oxen, just his, not the other 11, and he uses the wood from the plow to fuel this barbecue and shares the meat with the town people, and they all had a feast together. I see so much significance in this. First of all, by slaughtering his oxen, he's saying, I am completely severing from the past. I'm all in. No plan B. I am serving God. Number two, he has a public farewell. He's honoring his family and his community together. He understood community. Three, I see the kindness of his action in sharing this with the town people, showing what his ministry would be like. And then he goes, and we read that he goes with Elijah as his assistant. Literally, it says, he poured water on his hands. A symbolic gesture saying, I will be your servant. But wait a minute, Elisha was used to having many servants serving him in a position of honor and leadership. But he gave that up to become a servant. Does that remind you of anyone? Did not the Lord Jesus Christ, who had all of the angels at his beck and call, serving him, give that up to come to serve us and to be a servant? That's Elisha. Elisha, who was in line for a huge inheritance from his father, instead befriends a friendless, depressed prophet. Elijah, who was in many ways an imperfect mentor, but they learned from each other. And for the next 10 years, Elijah and Elisha served in ministry together. King Ahab was busy off uh, fighting Syria, so he didn't have time to track prophets down. And we don't know a lot about what happened in these 10 years. But they accomplished things together that they could not have done so apart. We don't read of a lot of miracles in this time, a seemingly mundane, low-profile ministry. And a lesser man than Elisha might have bailed searching for more excitement. Elijah, I, I heard that you did miracles and that you were an exciting man, and I, I don't see that now. But because of his humility, God ultimately exalts Elisha. He ends up anointing kings, healing lepers, sought out by powerful men, raising the dead, feeding multitudes. He prefigures the Lord Jesus Christ. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. Together they have strengths, 
Together they strengthened each other, and he encourages Elijah back to emotional health. If you'd like, turn to 2 Kings now in chapter 2. We're fast-forwarding 10 years. 2 Kings chapter 2, it's the last day of Elijah's life on earth, and they both know it. Elijah is at peace. He's following God's prompting, visiting three schools of prophets that he has set up, hundreds of students that he has trained in the last 10 years. Stay here, he says to Elisha. The Lord has told me to go to Bethel. But Elisha says, as surely as the Lord lives, I will not leave you. So they went down together to Bethel. I think this is more permission than a command. You don't have to come along. I know it's going to be hard for you when you see me taken from you. But Elisha would finish his assignment. They go to Bethel, the place of prayer. A whole company of prophets from the school that Elijah and Elisha had founded. Now they ask Elisha, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? We can actually be kind of insensitive at times. Sometimes we've got a good story and we want to tell it, and we have to think, is this helpful to the other person? I don't think this is in any way helpful to Elisha to continue to be reminded that this is the day God's going to take Elijah from him. But they just wanted to share it, and they do. And so Elisha says, of course I know it. Be quiet about it. This happens three times. But again, Elisha continues to reply, I'm not leaving you. I'm staying with you. This incredible, stubborn devotion, some of Elijah's tenacity had rubbed off on this young man. And so they walk together. Elisha still in this servant role to the end, listening to not his master's words, but to the cry of his heart. Another 50 prophets come. They don't say anything. They just stand there watching. What's the point of all this? Ten years before, Elijah was a loner. I'm the only one left, he said, resisting God's push to be in companionship. Something significant has happened in those 10 years because here, On the last day of his life, as Elijah is walking from town to town to town, everywhere he goes, another school of prophets that he has formed and trained come out to greet him. Now he's in community and in relationship. And I think these are Elijah's best years, his best work, building lives. Elijah takes his cloak He throws it down and he parts the water with it and they cross the Jordan together. Elijah now asks Elisha, what can I do for you before I'm taken away? If Elisha had left early, he would have missed this opportunity. And now tenderly, Elijah, wanting to pass something on to this young man he'd come to appreciate, asks, if Elisha had not pressed in He would have missed this. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit and become your successor. 
That might sound greedy if we don't understand a context, a double portion. What is this? Whatever you do, I can do better? No. No. Understand that under the law, the firstborn would get a double portion of these, the inheritance. And so he's saying, I want to be your spiritual heir. I want the God that I see in you. I need the power that you have. My need is greater, especially when you're gone. Paul was not afraid to pray powerful prayers. Read Ephesians 1 or Ephesians 3 and see the prayers we're encouraged to pray there, that the resurrection power of God would be ours, that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith, rooted and established in love, with the power to comprehend the dimensions of the love of Christ. Elisha's not afraid to pray big things. And so I ask myself, how much do I want God? Am I content with safe prayers, a safe Christian life, or do I want to live radically for God, praying prayers that are difficult? Elisha learned that from Elijah. And by prophetic insight, I think, Elijah saw that if Elisha were present when he was translated to heaven, God would grant his request. A chariot of fire comes from heaven, separates the two men. And so Elijah's last action on earth is walking in community with his brother. He is a changed man. Elisha saw him no more. And in distress, he calls, my father, my father. Elijah had become like a dad to him. He picks up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah he puts it on and he agree, agrees with the calling that's been left to him. He comes to the bank of the Jordan River, takes the cloak, and just like his master had done, he throws it down and the water parts, and it's as if God is saying, yes, your request has been granted. The prophets that are there recognize that the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. But all 50 of them, so overwhelmed with Elijah's disappearance, they set out to look for him. Now, this is kind of funny because Elijah's now up in heaven, but they're determined. Maybe the Spirit of God has just taken him and put him on a mountain somewhere. And so no matter what Elisha says to them, they're determined to search for three days. They come to search for this old man they've come to love so much. What does this show me? The deep care and concern that these men have for Elijah. This former recluse is a loner no longer. He's surrounded by a community of people who would just not accept that he was gone. Search for three days to find him. What a legacy Elijah has left. Hundreds of prophets, multiple schools of prophets that would persist. We have books like Amos and Hosea and Micah in the Bible. They were part of this stream of prophets in Israel that Elijah had started. He had mentored Elisha effectively. Ultimately, Elisha did two times the ministry. Two times the miracles of Elijah, two times as long, two times the anointing, his prayer had been answered. 
How do we define success and significance? There are two streams of history. Ahab continued to be Ahab. Evil continued to flourish. And yet, quietly, imperceptibly, the kingdom of God was growing. Against the backdrop of a society that seems to drift further and further from God, we can be part of building other people's lives and seeing the kingdom of God survive and thrive into new generations. That's God's multiplication. And to me, the second half of Elijah's life is more wonderful more significant than the first, more lasting. I would suggest it's his greatest legacy, his prayer that he prayed in that cave, God, take my life. (laughs) God has answered it so beautifully by taking his life and pouring it into the lives of others. In 1995, Carrie and I were searching and wondering if God was calling us into missions. And so we took some time. We went to a YWAM base in Amsterdam to explore the call of God on our lives. We were ready to put the for sale sign on the house and and go as missionaries. And in, in ways that I don't have time to tell you now, God made it very clear that it wasn't about us, but rather we were being called to expose other people to missions And so out of that, I think since then, we've led 12 mission trips and exposed those people to missions. God's multiplication much better than our addition. I've been a part of eight different churches, seen programs come and go, ideas that seem so brilliant lie on, uh, you know, in history. Issues that we struggled over and and argued over, seemingly so insignificant now. But I look back, and in the midst of all of that, I see, by God's grace, some lives that I've been able to affect for the kingdom of God. And that's what I look back on and find significance in. To the more mature among us, I say, Who would not want to be part of God's kingdom building? We can cling to our own agendas and our own preferences and our own lives, or we can delight that a new generation begins to succeed us. We have the privilege of pouring our lives into new generations and encouraging them. Finding someone younger in the faith, taking them for coffee, listening to the cry of their hearts, finding out what's important to them, and praying with them, sharing our own vulnerabilities and struggles and victories. Are we reproducing ourselves? Jaron stood here, and he put something on on the overhead here, on the screen. I've just displayed how old I am talking about overheads. But anyway, he put something on the screen here about ways that we could get involved in the lives of youth. Did that not set a fire in your heart? The opportunity to pour into the lives of a new generation. To the young, I say, does the kingdom of God so thrill you that you might lay down everything for that heart 
gripping love of the Lord Jesus Christ, recognizing that He is worth everything. I sat in meeting after meeting as I was traveling with a seminary singing group, and I would hear sermons about giving your life in ministry, and it gripped my heart at that time, and I responded, and I went to seminary. Forty-two years I've been in ministry, and i got to tell you, it has gone really fast. Way quicker than I ever imagined. Time is short. Our opportunities are finite. Use the moments and the days that you have well. Seek the empowering of God to do great things for Him and seek out others with whom you can share the love of Christ and reproduce yourself for the kingdom of God. Receiving, walking in the love of Christ and giving it away. There is no better way to spend your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you are worthy of all of our love and devotion. You've given us our lives and we can offer them back to you in service. Lord Jesus, would you give us the vision of sharing and reproducing our lives in those we have the privilege of knowing and loving. I pray, God, for the anointing that we need to do the work that you've called us to do. And I pray, Lord, that we would see the kingdom of God in all its beauty and all its value and be ready to lay down for that kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.